Coming to you from USL headquarters, this is Steal Some Time. Here's the USL's Kelsey Steele. It is Tuesday, August 20th, 2019. Welcome into episode 13 of Steal Some Time. I'm Kelsey Steele, joined by Scott Stewart, Matt Calvo. We are rolling right along in this last quarter part of the season, and I can't believe it. And I'll tell you what, I can't believe some of these results coming from week 24. We've got a lot to cover this week. It's supporters week uh, across the the last uh, seven days or so, and um, we've got a, a really cool initiative this week on the show. We've got two supporters, one from the East, one representing the West, to come in and uh, provide a different level of insight this week. So we're really excited to have two of our supporters across championship play on the show today. Supporters Week's really great. It's allowing uh, you know our fans to really have a voice, and um, you're you're going to see a ton across social media this week. It's a league-wide initiative with clubs changing profile pictures and doing fan-centered pieces, allowing. Allowing fans to control some of these in-game activations. I mean, I know that we had um, over the weekend uh, fans decided what Martin Brinney was going to be wearing uh, for for the indie game. Um, I know they're controlling choices for gloves for OKC. I mean, there's a lot of really cool initiatives. I heard through the grapevine that somebody might even be changing a hairstyle, mm. hair mm-hmm. coloring. I don't know. Shameless plug. Look on social media to find out. Either way. A, a lot to cover from week 24 and of course we'll look forward to week 25 but we are going to start over in the east and chat a little bit about North Carolina hosting the Pittsburgh Riverhounds this week and I think that we can easily say that nobody saw a, a 5-0 outcome at least in North Carolina's favor coming out of week 24 but let me tell you North Carolina s- stuck it to the Riverhounds shut down that unbeaten streak that they had going and and really, I mean, they they dominated play, outshot Pittsburgh 13 to 5, eight shots on target as well, which is fantastic. Pittsburgh, on the other hand, didn't have a single shot on target, and I think that's obviously a, a major uh, difference maker when you're when you're looking at that matchup. I I will say that there was a red card early on that obviously played a a big role in this game. You have Pittsburgh playing with a man down for nearly the majority of the mm-hmm. game is in the 44th minute. So um, a, a really big difference maker for our, for the Riverhounds there. I think that all of that being said, you really have to acknowledge what North Carolina FC was able to do this weekend against a, a rolling Riverhounds unit. And um, Iwolo and Fortune really stepped up, notched a brace apiece. Um, North Carolina looked good, Scott. Yeah, I mean, the same week Austin Deleuze announces his retirement, he then goes and dedicates a 5-0 win over Pittsburgh to uh, to the Oak City supporters. So cool. Definitely didn't play out how I thought it would. Um, right. And I think that I, I speak for the vast majority of fans around the championship who just kind of looked at that and said, what the heck's going on with Pittsburgh? Um, you said it, though. North Carolina scores. Pittsburgh gets a red card, changes the dynamic of the game completely. And, and obviously, Bob Lilly, being Bob Lilly, he plays in a very organized, structured way. When you take a piece of that away, it can be really difficult for them to adjust to. We've seen it in his past teams, and it's not a knock on him at all. It's just the way that he plays and the system that they're in. Losing a player means that you're losing a very important 10% of your outfield there, and, and that is obviously a huge difference maker for Pittsburgh. Um it was a little bit weird, but once North Carolina turned it on, they really turned it on. Dre Fortune bagging a, a couple goals and getting an assist on another one as the uh, the championship player of the week. 
Yeah, this is one that I think Pittsburgh is going to want to sweep under the rug as quickly as physically possible so that they can move on to what's next for them. But if you're going to end a five-game unbeaten run and four of those are wins with a loss, you might as well just take a hefty right hook to the face and then move. Just move on. What an, what an analogy, sorry. Um, take a big punch <laughs> and go. Who cares? Uh, Bigger picture here, you have uh, North Carolina FC moving back above uh, Pittsburgh, yeah. taking two points ahead. Um, that's major when you're talking about what this postseason picture is going to look like. And then even more, they needed that win because North Carolina's work is cut out for them these next few weeks. You've got Tampa Bay, you've got Louisville and Loudoun, but I mean, most importantly, that that Tampa Bay and that, uh, that Louisville game are, are not going to be easy, especially because you've got Louisville when you're on the road as well. Whereas Pittsburgh, when you know they're back in week twenty-five, they're hosting Loudon and then travel to Ottawa. They're the road the next two, I would say, are, are a bit more in their favor than North Carolina is. So I think that we could easily see this shifting again. But if you're North Carolina, that was a massive three points down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, North Carolina hasn't traveled to Louisville since March of last year, so it is wow. going to be sort of a sort of a re-familiarizing yourself with the way that that field is laid out and sort of the way that Louisville plays at home. It's a big ask for them, but after that, having Loudon in Bethlehem maybe softens a blow if you do take a loss in Louisville. I think for, for Louisville, it's kind of um, how many points can we get out of these next three games is, is sort of the marker here. A nice come-from-behind win in Charleston, but you've got North Carolina and Indy at home, and then you travel to Pittsburgh after that. That might be the toughest three-game stretch of their season, obviously. Um, I won't be the expert on that. We'll bring in somebody who's much more equipped for that pretty soon here. But, yeah, I mean, North Carolina, to build on that result, their remaining three or their next three games, rather, if they're able to take nine points from nine, it's very, very easy to see them uh, steadily making a case for one of those top four, maybe even top three, depending on how the likes of uh, Nashville and Tampa Bay shake out over the next few weeks. Speaking of experts, we have got to bring in our Louisville City FC expert to talk about this Charleston-Louisville matchup in Week 24. So we are now joined by Louisville City supporter Taylor Sorrells. Taylor, how are we doing today? Doing great. Thank y'all for having me. Yeah, thanks Thanks for coming on board. And I I hear that your story is really unique with Louisville City because you're what they call uh, an OG. You are, you've been there pretty much from the beginning. So from your, your perspective, how did you initially become involved with the Louisville soccer scene and, of course, you know, being a part of this Louisville City uh, supporter system? Uh, well, it was start off back in September of 13. Uh, I'd been kind of keeping my eye on uh, just developments in American soccer. And, you know, we did know that uh, there was a lot of passion in the city for the sport. Uh, whether it be in high school or college games, uh, you know, our, we've got two really strong college programs, actually several really strong college programs in the state. Uh, and, you know, I could drive around on a Saturday morning and see bars full of people uh, watching Premier League games. And, and to say nothing of, uh, you know, the large Mexican soccer uh, fan contingent we have here in the city. Uh, but uh, back, like I said, about 2013, about this time, was it six years ago, uh, three other guys and I got together in a coffee shop and said, you know, let's let's get organized and try and prove to whoever's out there listening that there is support for professional soccer in the city. Uh, and really short, shortly thereafter, uh, we'd gotten in touch with uh, the guy who ended up founding uh, the, the club, Wayne Estopinal. Uh, within a couple of weeks, I think, uh, we the four of us, and we added a few guys after that, and it sat down with him, and he said, I have a plan 
for how we can make a, a professional team work here. And he'd had some prior experience with that. But uh, we sat down and said, well, here's how we can help you. You know, we can try and, and like I said, we believe there's a market here. Let's prove it to you. Uh, so we went from, like I said, four guys in a coffee shop to uh, I think we had 1,500 members or something like that within six months, uh, folks who were, who were ready to sign up for season tickets uh, and see what pro soccer on a baseball field looked like, uh, which you know has, has had its ups and downs, and we're the butt of many jokes, uh, justifiably so, as a result of that. But yeah, it all started with uh, with some guys who who were really interested in in uh, bringing pro sports to a little bit most most more importantly, bringing the most popular and, in my opinion, most fun uh, sports to town as we possibly could, and it's just, you know it's turned into something bigger than any of us ever could have imagined. Taylor, so many sports fans go through their entire fan career, supporting career, whatever you want to call it, without ever experiencing what it's like to celebrate a championship. And you guys have had the opportunity to do that twice in uh, Louisville City's uh, young life. What was that like for you to experience not one, but but back-to-back championships for Louisville City? I mean, it, it was awesome. Um, you know, especially in light of the competition that we were facing both years. You know, you had a big spender in Cincinnati right up the road. Uh, and the fact that we got to take the cup home two years in a row, with, to, and, and they didn't, was was pretty great. Uh, even though they're they're gone now, uh, but that was especially gratifying. But it was just it was great for the city. Uh, it was great for soccer in the city, and I think you know overall, you know, it, it kind of went to show that a, a team can, you know, we had a middle of the road budget as far as players are concerned, and and to maximize that and get the results that we did was was just um, was just awesome. Um, you know, like you can't rank either one, but I, my favorite games from either one of those, frankly, was the conference final both years, because uh, I was too stressed out to to really be able to enjoy the championship game. Although last year was a little bit better, uh, but it it it's been fabulous. You know, it, I, you can't really it's hard to put it into words, and I'm actually trying at the moment uh, and failing. But uh, it's it's very difficult to try and say you know how you got from point A to point B and how quick it was and and the you know to have the success we've had is. is been a big part of why Louisville City's future is so bright going forward. Yeah, you hear the passion through the phone, Taylor. I mean, it's evident that you are totally bought into the system. Um, and, you know, speaking of systems, I think this one is a little bit different this year and years past with Louisville City. Do how, how do you think Louisville City season has been thus far? If you had to go on from an analytical perspective, um, what, what are your thoughts thus far on their season? I mean, if you'd asked me this question about, I don't know, four weeks ago, Kelsey, I'd have given you a much different answer than I'm going to give you right now. Um, it's been a struggle. Uh, we've been hit with an absolute rash of injuries. Personnel has been a real problem for us all season long, and I don't know if that's a function of, you know, the training regimen that we're doing or if it's, uh, you know, the, uh, the fact that the core of our team is, is another year older than they were two, a year or two years ago. Or if it's just a, just bad luck, and it could be a combination of all three, I don't know. But uh, it's you know we had two really bad months there, basically, which is you, Louisville City seems to always take a dip in June. I don't know what it is about June, but it, that just seems to happen. I don't know if it's weather it gets hotter and guys just struggle to adjust or what. But uh, this week, this year, that kind of, that dip kind of extended a couple more weeks, and so we had a run of really tough form there for from June till till the end of July, where. You know, I was starting to become concerned about whether we were going to make the playoffs. And then, uh, you know, we've had rattled off three straight wins, at least one of which was unexpected, kind of, uh, given the form that we were in. And, uh, you know, watching the, the last three weeks, watching our games the last three weeks, it started to look a lot like the team that I'm used to watching. 
you know, the, the, the way the guys are seem to have a much better understanding of what everybody's trying to do, whether, I don't know if that's a simplification of the system or if we've t- put in a new tactical wrinkle or what, I can't really necessarily describe it because the setup is fairly similar to what we've been doing all season. Uh, but for whatever reason, right now it's starting to click and it couldn't come at a better time because like you guys were saying earlier, we've got a tough stretch of games coming up and we need to get as many points as we can out of that. I, I'm not concerned about missing playoffs or anything like that anymore, but now the question is, well, how good a spot can we get? Can we get a home game? Is it possible to do that? Do we get a bye in the first round? Things like that. And uh, I was saying to Scott earlier, it's it's a bit of an indictment of the American soccer system that you can get away with having two bad months like that and still have a chance at a possible top four finish. But, you know, that's the world that we live in. And it's working out well well for Louisville City so far this year. I think positioning-wise, it's interesting when you look at it from 2018 and 2019 season now because it, it was kind of all over the place there in the middle of the season for Louisville City in 2018. And then all of a sudden, you string together six regular seasons uh, wins to, to finish out the season and then obviously four in a row to, to win the cup final. And it's it makes you wonder, coming into this final stretch of the season here, what are your your opinion when you look at now we're under that 10 week mark how do you see their fate heading into the postseason do you see louisville city taking that route like they did in 2018 i mean it's possible i don't know how likely it is uh just because you know we've, we're still missing some key pieces uh but we were missing a couple a key piece last year you know cam lancaster went out and then in the second uh, round of the playoffs last season for us uh, and we you know, managed to, to survive without him. Uh, right now we're without Paolo Del Piccolo, who's really, I mean, he's our team captain. He's the engine that kind of runs the entire team. And uh, But we've managed to, to go to do okay without him these, these last few weeks. Um, you know, in terms of what do I necessarily expect, you know, like I said, I feel like we're rounding to some pretty good form here. I know we're coming up on some really difficult games. Um you know, we've got we just got a tough road win uh, in Charleston that I just that you know I wasn't really sure how it was going to go. Uh, coming up, let's see, we've got oh, I can't even find it anymore. In any event, you know, we got Pittsburgh coming up. We have Indy, Tampa, New York again. Uh, but you know, Louisville City seems like a team that this season and in the, especially this season plays a lot better against uh, teams that kind of get they get their back up for, which is. You know, a good and a bad thing. You know, we've we've dropped points to teams that we have no business dropping points to. Um, but you know, we if we stick, I'll be happy with with a with anywhere between fourth and sixth at this point. Um, and I think that's probably what we project at. A fantastic analysis from one of Louisville's own Taylor Sorrells. Thanks so much for stopping in today and giving a supporter's perspective on uh, Louisville City FC and what we can expect the rest of the season. And I'm sure we'll be talking here in, you know, week 30 or so and seeing how these predictions come about. And you never know, maybe it's a, a string of wins coming Louisville's way. It's, it's only time will tell. That's true. Thank you all again for having me. I appreciate it. Appreciate it, Taylor. Thanks. When we come back, we will be joined by New Mexico United's David Carl, president of New Mexico's uh, supporters group, The Curse. So when we get back, we'll be joined by David. Hi, I'm Sebastian Gonzati from the Tampa Bay Rowdies, and you're listening to Steal Some Time. Welcome back in to Steal Some Time. We are now joined by the Curses president, David Carl. David, thanks so much for taking the time out of your busy work schedule to sit down and chat some uh, championship soccer with us. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. 
No problem. And I know for you, it's it's a little bit different because you're not a New Mexico native. And correct me if I'm wrong. So it's a real it's a different angle with you. You're you chose to came to go to New Mexico and um, be an active member of this fan base in, in the state. Uh, yeah, so I grew up in, in Florida. I've moved around quite a bit in my life, and I uh, lived in New Mexico for the last six years or so, um, but grew up around soccer. I uh, grew up watching the Miami Fusion and the MLS, and uh, grew up a big Arsenal supporter, and so when a club was announced here in New Mexico and in Albuquerque, I was beyond pumped. I was excited. It was the best thing that we could ask for. It's great. Take me through your process of getting involved with the curse and creating the curse. And um, I think the the public may, might not be aware of where that name comes from as well. So, yeah, yeah take us through that a little bit. Yeah, it was a fun thing. So uh, after the club was announced, um, they had, as any club would have, kind of a little meet up, meet and greet with, you know, team ownership and management and front office folks. And um, so we went to that. A few of us went to that. We didn't know each other at all. Um, but there was a form there you could fill out if you're interested in season tickets. And I filled out that form. And there's a check bar, a checkbox that you could check. And it said, if you're interested in being part of a supporters group, check here. Well, I did, uh, and there were six people who did, six of us, uh, and uh, one person in the front office, uh, his name's Lucas Cash, uh, put us all on an email chain and said, hey, you all were interested in t- starting a supporters group, I'm just linking you all up, and now I'm going to leave you alone. And so the six of us met up at a local brewery, uh, and that's kind of when the curse was born. Uh, regarding the name, uh, it's kind of a cool story. Uh, they're one of the first governors of the territory of New Mexico before we we were even a state. Uh, his name was General Lou Wallace. He was a Union general in the Civil War, also wrote Ben-Hur. Uh, the president at the time sent him out to govern the territory of New Mexico, and when he got here, things were really difficult. Uh, you know, the terrain, the people, the, the, uh, the cacti everywhere, the animals, everything was out to get him. And so he wrote a letter back to his wife, um, and part of that letter said, uh, all calculations based on our experiences elsewhere fail in New Mexico. And that was dubbed the Curse of Lou Wallace. And we figured, well, there's two ways you can interpret that. It could be, one, everything in New Mexico is tough and difficult, and you know it's, it's hard to live here and things like that. But we decided to turn it on its head and kind of make it our own thing where you know what works for you at your place, what works for you in your stadium, on your pitch, ain't going to work as soon as you cross our borders. I love that. And that is such a testament to what this New Mexico United uh, team has really been about. I would love the perspective from you as a supporter and someone who's obviously been with this club since day one. What are your thoughts on uh, New Mexico United season thus far? It's been a blast. I mean, more than we could have ever asked for, for an inaugural year. I mean, think about it. If, if you had told somebody, you know, let's say you were supporting a brand new first year club and you told them they would go to the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open Cup, that they would beat two MLS teams to get there, that they'd be at the top of the table for a large portion of the first half of the season, um, that they'd be competing regularly with teams like Phoenix, who is just out of this world right now. Um, you know, we've played them twice at their place and we haven't lost. Um, if you had told me we'd do that all that in our first year, and then on top of that, you know, the attendance numbers we've seen, the, the community support we've seen, the numbers just within the curse that we've seen, um, just everybody rallying around it has just been unbelievable. We would have been thrilled if we had 50 members by the end of the year in the curse, and we're inching closer to 500 at this point, so we're pumped. That's amazing, and I um, I love following the New Mexico United Facebook group as well. The level of passionate fans in there is unreal. Um, I know this past week they had you guys had two supporters, two or three supporters who 
painted the coolest Tifo of Troy Lassane. Um, it, yeah, if you guys listening haven't seen this, I we posted it on um, Twitter, and I'm sure you can find it across New Mexico channels as well. But it's the most gorgeous portrait of Troy, and I'm sure he loved it. Um, I don't think he's ever looked better. So it's a <laughs> yeah. That's a shout out to the folks in 205 front row. They do tifo pretty much every single match, and they hang it from uh, to section 205 in the upper deck. They had this awesome one that I think is up for best tifo right now, and the uh, the the league is doing that uh, of Kevon Freider, and it was. Kevon during our Meow Wolf night, and he had these fangs that said, be a freighter. It was, it's just great. They are so artistic and fantastic, and shout out to them. They're great. Again, playing right in that in Mexico culture, buying in with that art. Um, mm-hmm. I, I've got to get your perspective here, David. We are under that 10-week mark. It's the, it's <laughs> the home stretch. How do you see uh, New Mexico United's fate heading into October, November? Do you think that there could be a serious push here for the Cup? Yeah, I think so. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't say so. We have more home games than any other team left. Um, you know, we played a lot of our, our matches on the road early, knocked them out as quickly as possible, thankfully, and kind of worked out well with the Albuquerque Isotopes schedule, who we share a stadium with. Um, at the time, you know, we were just forced to play a lot of home games down the stretch, and it works out well for us. Um, you know, we've got some big matches coming up, uh, particularly that one against Phoenix in mid to late September. I think it's September 25th, maybe, around that time. Um, that'll be huge. I mean, that that could potentially decide the Four Corners Cup. Um, you know, we've got some work to do to get back into the top four. What we really, really want is to host a home match. Um, you know, we we think we have one of the best atmospheres in all of the USL. Um, and and we plan on making it really, really loud once we host one. Um, you know, we make it loud for every home match, but particularly if we could host a playoff match. Um, you know, I wouldn't, if I was Phoenix, if I was any other team in the Western Conference, I sure as hell wouldn't want to play at Isotopes Park in the postseason. I don't know a better note to end it than that note right there from David Carls. David, thank you so much for stopping by. Talk a little supporter um, faith and uh, you got, tell you what, what you, what you guys have done in Mexico and you know the supporters as a whole this season with the USL Championship. It makes it fun to be a part of this league and again, we wouldn't run without you guys. So super well, appreciative you. for what you've brought to the league and we're looking forward to seeing all of the noise that comes out in New Mexico the rest of the season and for years to come. Well, thank you, and I want to I give a shout-out to some of the other supporters groups around the around the league, too. I mean, we've traveled quite a bit this year. We've gone to, I think, seven or eight away matches so far, and the supporters across the board have been great. El Paso, Phoenix, you know, going to San Antonio this weekend. The other supporters around the league, around the Western Conference, have been absolutely awesome, so shout-out to them as well. I absolutely love that. One big supporter group nation. How about that? David, thank you so much for joining us. I'm sure we'll be seeing you around here the rest of the season. If not in person, then definitely across uh, social media. Sounds great. Looking forward to it, guys. Thanks. Take care. Well, David Carl had so many good things to say and really enjoyed our conversation with him and, of course, Taylor Sorrells from Louisville. Um, We've briefly got to touch on Sacramento and Colorado Springs and, of course, El Paso and uh, Tacoma. So, Scott, I'm just going to let you have your moment here. We're going to play this clip from last week's show. You know, he's a very talented striker. I think on the surface, before you see him actually on the field for Sacramento, this could be the most significant move made in the second half of the season by anybody. And what do you know? Thomas Innovoldson made an impact instantly, and um, Scott can get his bonus or his raise whenever um, Jake Edwards sees fit because he hit the nail on the head there. Uh, Innovoldson came in and um, had such an impact, and you know I want to get your opinion here. Why do you think that he was able to, to come in uh, what a week under a week training Mm -hmm. with the team and have such an impact instantly 
Yeah, I mean, I think the, the most important thing is something that you've alluded to already. The supporting cast around him is obviously incredibly talented. I mean, he's got Kamawasa, he's got Sam Warner, he's got like true dedicated playmakers who are going to be up there to give him the service he needs. Probably got a little bit lucky on the, the second goal, um, the forced air from the goalkeeper allowing him to, to just squeeze the other one over the line. But Again, it's just it's familiar territory for him. He knows the Western Conference. He obviously these teams have changed slightly. Like Fresno will be different than Fresno of last year, but for him, it's just about getting in an environment where he's comfortable, where he's made to feel important, where he can be one of the true like top dogs and leaders in that squad on the field. So I think Sacramento is a great fit. It obviously went really well on Saturday night, and now the biggest test of all: uh, road trip to Phoenix. Absolutely, and I think that you have Enavoldson and Iwasa up front there. That's a dangerous combination yeah. for uh, any back line. You've got a guy in Enavoldson who had 20 goals last year with Orange County, had just five throughout the season with Indy. He picks up two in Week 24. I think it's it's very interesting to see what he can do in, uh, in Phoenix in Week 25. Elsewhere from Week 24, we've got to touch on El Paso in um, – in such an in- incredible display of community and um it, it that was incredible i i don't i don't know i can't find any other words other than to say that the display that happened uh for el paso to return for the first time since august 3rd since that tragedy struck um you know not only coming away with with a 2-0 win it's in Partita nails an absolutely insane bicycle kick that has to be a front runner for goal of the year. Um, lands number one on Sports Center's top ten. I mean, just completely, you know, blows blows away the internet. And then you have Omar Salgado, who is an El Paso native, scores is just just completely solidifies that El Paso win. And um, I, you see El Paso strong flags flying throughout the crowd. It's just. What an emotional night, and I I don't want to get too cliche here, but you talk about the power of sports, and I think that was a prime example of what happened in El Paso on Saturday night. Yeah, I mean, just like you alluded to, they, they stopped an, an eight-game winless run. So on the field, obviously, the, resorts, the result is very important for them. I mean, they, they need to keep momentum going as they look to get back in the playoff race, but all of it seems trivial considering the circumstances and everything that that community has had to both suffer from and then heal their way through. And they're not even close to done healing. They won't be for some time. But how that community responded to the events on August 3rd has been remarkable and impressive and something that, you know, obviously at the the league level, we're just very, very proud of that organization and the fans that are there and the way that they've um, come to support each other in, in a time where, you know, people could have broken off and siloed and, and sort of fended for themselves and handled it their own way. But this has all been about El Paso Strong, one city, one community, one team. Um, and, and, you know, very few embodied that as well as El Paso did. So obviously a very emotional Saturday night. Um Great to, to get a win, but most important, great to see, you know, the El Paso strong flags flying, the the minute of applause and the 22nd minute. I mean, it's just um, circumstances surrounding everything that happened over this weekend is something that El Paso fans are going to look back on. Um, not necessarily for the right reasons, but, but certainly with the right tone. A very special week 24. That's for sure. When we come back, we'll uh, take you into our social moments of the week. And of course, look ahead to week 25. Hey everybody, this is Matt Van Okel of the Birmingham Legion, and we are here with Steal Some Time. 
Welcome back in to Steal Some Time. A lot of uh, supporters action going on this week. Super thankful for those two guys to join us and, and give it a different perspective. Of course, it's love. It's, it's awesome hearing from the supporters and, um, you know, the fans who are truly in it with the team for, you know, 35 plus weeks out of the year. So we really enjoyed it. And of course, across social this week, you're seeing a, you're plenty of supporters week action from profile picture changes um, to photography to, to takeovers, things like that. Um, it's it's really cool to see the passion. I mean, that's what it's all about in in the grand scheme of things. It's about the fans. They're the ones who keep this league going. And I think it's important from the front office standpoint that we acknowledge that we are super appreciative of the feedback day in and day out. And yet they, they keep the ball rolling. Yeah, Jack Stein, football without fans is nothing. And we all recognize that. And we need to do a better job of living that every single week. But I'm really, really um, impressed with the supporters that we have around the league and mo- most importantly, the clubs that are going out of their way to make sure that the fans are heard every single week. And that's obviously something we all need to, to be better about. Absolutely. Elsewhere across the league this week and social media, our very own Mike Watts is off the market. Ladies and gentlemen, Mike Watts is engaged to be married. So we definitely want to throw a kudos over to him. Congratulations to him and the soon to be misses. Um, obviously just an incredible guy and a voice for this league. And um, Mike Watts is, is one of the best in the biz. So we're super happy for him. Yeah, great guy. Um, I think that I'll let his voice tell the real story. So if you uh, ever want to hit him up, he tells it a lot better than I do. And he sounds a lot better too. So he yeah, congrats, Mike. We're obviously all very, very thrilled for you. Last social moment of the week I want to touch on. Um, we I don't think we've ever talked about baseball on this podcast. And <laughs> it's just a super weird angle to go with. Stick with me here, people. Scott I and have baseball. I have a point. So this as a whole, this is sports industry and um, I think there's a, a larger story to be told here. Um, if you do follow baseball, then you probably know about a guy named Ronald Acuna Jr., who is one of the biggest prospects that this uh, this nation's had, this league's had, and Major League Baseball has seen in a very long time. The dude is freaking talented. Um, but th- this past weekend, he made headlines because he didn't run out of the batter's box after he had cranked one off of the wall. It was like 387 feet or something like that. He thought it was gone. Turns out it wasn't. Just went off the uh, the outfield wall and instead just kind of trotted to first base and settled for a single. Whereas you know maybe could have could have pushed the envelope a little bit uh, a little bit more there. But what happened afterwards after the inning was was over and he went back to the dugout, he was actually benched by Braves manager Brian Snicker and um, he had a really good quote after the game. He said, "You know what? He didn't run." And you have to run in this league. The name on the front of your jersey is a lot more important than the name on the back of your jersey. And you just simply can't let your teammates down. And when I saw that, I I thought that there was such a larger message to be told there because that goes far beyond sports as well. You know, it's everything that you do, it's it, whether it's the workplace, you know, you're playing professional sport, it is so much bigger than your name. And in the end, by him not putting in the extra effort there, the little bit of hustle, you know, what are you saying to your teammates? What are you saying to people who paid money to sit in the stands and and watch the, your talent? I mean, it's it's a waste. And on, I, I applaud I applaud Brian for that um, that role. Obviously, it's not something that you see very often to see a general manager benching your probably the best player on the team, and it's a bold move. And they won the game, so at this point, he, it looked good. Now, if they had lost, maybe it would have been a different story. But 
I don't know, Scott. I thought it was a overall messaging, a, a really cool story. I have two just brief thoughts on this subject. The first one, if I ever hit a dinger 387 <laughs> feet, I would stare at that bad boy all the way through. Counterpoint, since I cannot hit a baseball 387 feet, and since this guy does this on the regular – in full agreement, it's a it's a cliche at this point. You play for the name on the front, not the name on the back, but it's also the truth, right? And it's a good attitude. It's a humbling attitude to carry yourself with. Be about something bigger than yourself. Play for those who, you know, show up and watch you do this every day. Obviously, as a professional athlete, it's very easy to get out of that, like, on the ground. You're sort of in your bubble a little bit. But if nothing else, this was probably a very quick and um, hefty reminder from the Braves' top dogs to say, hey, you're here to play for the Braves, not for Ronald Acuna Jr. So, And again, I think it's an important note as well. The kid's 21 years old. I mean, he's young. He's, yeah. Baseball is is a, a long game if you do it right, and um, it's important to make these changes early and develop the right mindset early. Um, you know, years down the road, maybe he would have handled things differently, but because, you know, he was benched because of this – really simple mistake you know um it's it, i think a judgment call that is going to go a very long way yeah i mean again if you think you're going yard you're probably you're probably going to stand there and take a nice look at it but the second it doesn't go yard you're probably questioning why you stood there the entire time and yeah i mean probably really unfortunate timing not a great look for the guy but i'm sure he'll learn his lesson absolutely and you know what we're gonna look ahead of week 25 because there are some Good games going on this week, Scott Stewart. Wednesday Night Soccer is coming at you. North Carolina FC versus the Tampa Bay Rowdies. And let me tell you, if this isn't the biggest game of the week, the second one after that on Wednesday night might be between New York and Nashville. But, I God, ESPN game. We have a, a lot of a lot at stake, honestly, between this New York, or excuse me, this North Carolina and Tampa Bay Rowdies game is number five, hosting the number two team in the East. And I think what's interesting is you have Tampa Bay, who is heading on the road this week after a bye week in week 24, whereas North Carolina FC is coming at you full steam ahead after that 5-0 routing over Pittsburgh. So two clubs kind of coming into the week differently i'm not sure how much that's that's going to affect either side but this is monumental honestly you have three points separating the two clubs it is this eastern conference race is dare i say it up up for grabs Mm. yeah i think so i mean tampa bay has a game in hand on north carolina too which makes this outcome really interesting I'm kind of freaking out a little bit, though, if I'm being dead honest. Like, even just thinking about my Wednesday night, like, to to have North Carolina, Tampa Bay on one screen and Nashville Red Bulls 2 on the other is just, wow. For Scott Stewart, maybe alone, what a blessing in disguise, you know? I'm so excited to crank out this Wednesday. I was just going to say, I was looking at you. You look like you're freaking out. I am freaking out a little bit. I'm just really excited. Listen, North Carolina, an incredible performance to 5-0 thrashing over Pittsburgh. I don't think there's a single person on this planet who saw that coming. Maybe you think North Carolina could pit Pittsburgh and maybe, you know, kind of get something out of the game, but 5-0, that's huge. Tampa Bay Rowdies, as I'm sure we've heard enough of, a little bit of a stumbling uh, period in the season where they've only won two of their last five, two of those losses, the Birmingham game. Um, you're going to probably argue again another anomaly, but it, it does beg the question of, What's real for Tampa Bay? What's a real loss and what is a fluke? And 
personally, despite the way the Rowdies started, I think that you could argue that the last hour, maybe the second half alone, was all Birmingham. And Birmingham deserved to come away with three points that night. So the Rowdies are going to want to answer back a little bit. You know, Tampa Bay certainly have had their backs up against the wall before. Maybe not this season as much, but this is a a really young team um, with a very set way of playing. I don't think they're going to deviate from that. But yeah, it's a big ask to go to North Carolina, a team that's rolling, won their last two games. And then, yeah, I mean, the the other game that night is just as big of a, a heavy hitter. I think I might just set off fireworks and just have like my own little party Wednesday night before the seven o'clock kick, you know? We're walking to Scott's apartment and he's got like balloons and cake. Welcome everywhere. to the party, everybody. It'll be like a four way cake. Got like each team's logo on one part of it. Yeah. You walk Not in that and it's I've just thought Scott this out. and his cat sitting on the couch. Dude, Bobby is <laughs> all about the championship too. She will just sit in front of the screen. I'm not going to go into it because literally zero people need to hear this. But uh, yeah, she loves it. Here's my question for you, Scott. Okay. Is John McCarthy making an appearance mm. on Wednesday night? Well, on Tampa Bay's notes, he's been questionable for like the last four weeks. If he does, it would be huge for them. Yes. If not, I still think you could make the argument that with Macklin Robinson in goal, I don't think he's been poor. I think he had a, a mistake or two in the, the New York loss that he probably regrets. But against Birmingham, I mean, he still made some really good saves to keep them in the contest. Definitely, yeah. I think it's just a case of... We need to get the job done regardless of who's on the field. So how can we make that happen? I love that Neil Collins has to answer that instead of me. (laughs) That's why he gets paid the big bucks. Exactly. Exactly. Elsewhere ahead in week 25, I don't know how much longer we can talk about Phoenix, but they're giving us no other choice. They're back for another dollar beer night, and this time they're hosting Sacramento. And I'm going to go on a limb here. I'm going to say that this story is different. Yeah. This time around. Okay. Yes. I think that Thomas Innovoldson is the difference maker. Stop. He stopped smiling. He's got, oh, God, this is face right what? now. What? Um, <laughs> you have things you want to say. I'm going to let you have your moment. I don't need to say anything. <laughs> Go on. I, 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 think, I think Thomas Innovoldson is the difference maker Saturday night. And I think that you're seeing a guy in Thomas Innovoldson who knows Phoenix and who is familiar with this Phoenix side. And I think that's a huge advantage. I'm sorry, but I, I think that when you have him and, and Cameron Iwasa up there as a combination together, I think that's dangerous. As good as Phoenix's back line has been, I think this is the, is the biggest chance all season that Phoenix is going to have a run for their money on Dollar Beer Night, going for 15 straight wins. Are you calling a... I won't make you go out. No, I'll call that. Yeah, I oh, think yeah? this you is think it. They're gonna lose I or do. draw. I, I, think th- I, I, I was I, just gonna let you say that the win streak is snapped. I think the win. Go I think the, the win streak she's is visually snapped. hedging right now. Yeah, I, am. She's, I see I am. the bullets, the little beads of sweat just starting to like. She can feel the heat here. She feels the pressure. What do you think? Yeah, I, I'm gonna call it. I, I think this the L comes tonight. Or, excuse wow. me, um, Friday night for wow. for Phoenix Rising. Okay. I think that – I think Thomas Innovoldson's it for Sacramento. You know and that if she ends up being right, how unsufferable it will be for the rest guys, of the You guys, I'm not that bad. 
I don't. I'm not saying that I want to be right either. I think I only needed a couple seconds of silence just to let that All one right. sink a little bit. No. I'm sorry. Have your moments, guys. No, please. it's more just funny that that if this happens, you're right. But you think I have a stupid grin on my face? Imagine me taping this next week, having to look at you just like emphatically retell the story of Sacramento's Phoenix success. I I disagree. Okay. I think Phoenix pulls off another win on Friday night. I don't know what it is, and frankly, I don't care. I think they're playing with fire in some ways, just constantly putting the streak on Dollar Beer Night. It's a lot of pressure on Dollar Beer Night, I'm not going to lie. An incredible promotion that deserves its weight in beer. But I think that what we saw on Saturday from Sacramento, and especially from Ina Boltson, was a, a homecoming of sorts to the West. I mean, obviously, they played very, very well. Colorado Springs is third from the bottom in the West. I think, obviously, I'm not going to make, nor am I suggesting that you would make a comparison between Phoenix and Colorado Springs, but different beast, different animal. I don't know if Ina Boldson and that squad will have adapted to each other quite as well as they will need to to beat a team that has the quality of Phoenix. That said, I am certainly with you on saying that Sacramento will be the biggest test for Phoenix in this entire run. Well, and you said something very interesting. You said he knows this Phoenix squad, but does he know this Phoenix squad? Yeah, I mean, I think, listen, there's pieces that are different this year than last year. I'm, And I think that you can say that this Phoenix team is better than the Phoenix team last year. And that's saying a lot when you had a guy like Didier Drogba leading the force. Yeah. You know, um, I think that this is a more well-rounded team this, this year. Um, you have a lot of pieces that fit to, together in a much more cohesive way, I think, than we saw in 2018. I think you have guys who have really um, bought into the roles. And that might not be a role where it's playing 80 minutes of the game. Yeah. You know? And you have a really unselfish team in, in this Phoenix side. And I think that's why they're successful. And now I'm, like, starting to talk myself out of that no, take no, I made no. earlier. But, um, I like what you're saying. I, I agree in that Sacramento is going to be, like, a driving force, and it's going to take a lot out of Phoenix. Maybe I am too deep in the weeds of seeing teams just run through their leagues, and, and you know, I feel like the juggernaut effect doesn't get lost on some people, whereas I'm just more prone to say, until they lose, I'm not going to believe it. So until Look, Phoenix performs poorly and doesn't still win... There's a lot of validity to what you're saying. Like, when you look on paper, Sacramento has a lot of weapons and options that should be a threat to Phoenix. But just like you don't make a lot of money by voting by betting against Alabama or the Patriots, you're not going to make a ton of money by betting against Phoenix right now. I, I just think the streak has to end. True. I like it. Fair. And I think that if it's going to end, it would be at the hands of Sacramento. Yeah, I, I agree 100% with that, especially when you look at they travel to Tacoma next week, then they travel to Colorado, hosting San Antonio, who we just saw collapse against RGV over the weekend. The foreseeable future looks great for Phoenix outside of Saturday night. That's a take you end on. <laughs> week 25 is going to be a good one. I think you've managed to talk each other into and out of your own arguments. Two or three times. Listen, what happens, happens, all right? What happens, happens. If you haven't seen Bud Light's feature as well Got on um, Dollar Beer Night, really cool piece that they released. 
Phoenix Rising's going for 15 straight. Just an amazing story, and it's definitely going to be one to watch on Friday night. That'll do it for our Week 25 look ahead, and of course, our final uh, piece of business here, Matt Calvo. I'm going to let you take it away. Well, hi there. In order of uh, in honor of uh, Supporters Week this week, we're going to take a uh, fan submitted question. Mm. Love it for our mm. topic this week, uh, Anthony. A couple weeks ago, uh, posted this uh, discussion topic on Twitter, and it's all about chili in in reference to, I believe, Kelsey Steele and uh, Skyline or making chili or some some People food, had a lot to say about me making chili in 95 degree <laughs> She made. Uh, so the question was, does chili belong on pasta? And if so, what variety of pasta? Variety. Oh, like type, like types of noodles. Yeah, exactly. Ooh. Okay. So, given your background and background. not not the farm part of the background, but <laughs> ding, there it is. There it is. Had to hit one. Uh, Cincinnati skyline, all that sort of thing. Does chili belong on pasta? And if so, what what type of pasta? So, um, who won? Who was won? Was that Scott? No, she won last week. Kelsey. Won <clears> Kelsey last took week. two in a row, but who's counting? Oh, I don't know if you did take two in a row. Uh, Maybe I'm counting. I might not have. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Rough to a great start so far. So, Kelsey, chili, pasta, go. Yeah, I mean, um, un- unless you were dropped on the head as a kid, you should definitely know that you are putting chili on top of your spaghetti. Not linguine, not rotini. You are talking spaghetti noodles. It is a fabulous masterpiece. It really doesn't matter what kind of chili it is, but obviously if you're going to go in Cincinnati, it's got to be Skyline Chili. Throw a little bit of chocolate and cinnamon in with your concoction. It makes for an absolute masterpiece that is sure to put you to sleep after you eat it, as any good chili spaghetti concoction should be. I'm sorry for coming off a little intense there. It just really, like, hit me. Dropping children on their heads Yeah, I'm sorry to all the children. Guess I need to find out from my mom whether that was the case after this (laughs) argument. I think we're going to find out if Scott was dropped on his head in just a moment. Ready? Yes. Go. He was, apparently. Uh, Chili and noodles, I really don't see a need to mix it. Listen, you have three-way chili, which is basically just chili, cheese, and onions. And then you can get four-way chili, but five-way chili is – that's when the addition of noodles comes in. And it's just an unnecessary sort of – it's almost like you're not letting chili just stand on its own two legs. You know what I mean? Like you don't need the support system of pasta. Chili's significantly better without it. It's almost like when you're buddies with a bad girl, you're like, you don't need that. You're fine. Be your own man. Be your own chili. X the noodles. <laughs> if nothing else, I can at least pride myself on presenting the arguments in the stupidest and most entertaining way, right? So I do want to say you're wrong. Um, three-way is cheese, chili, spaghetti um there's a four-way onion or a four-way bean and then you can go five-way and have both but three-way is just cheese chili spaghetti you ever been a steak and shake that's not their three-way chili um well they're not the od <laughs> three ways so i have a conversation so, with them thank goodness yeah if i may please um i make drunken noodle thai chili Mm. Oh my God! It's one of my favorite things Dear to make. Lord, and uh, <laughs> bring a ventilator in here. Fairly, I'm fairly proud of it, and that that is obviously clearly served over noodles. Clearly, so I admit a bias coming into this discussion. That being said, I'm amazed at myself 
and at Scott Stewart that I was swayed by his argument. Really? Wow. Really? I'm hurt. I'm a little... Mm. I mean, okay. not the whole necessarily five ways and three ways and all the different ways, but uh, but you got to give mad props to Chili. It, it's fine in and of itself. But that wasn't the question. It was, does it belong on noodles? Yeah, but that's not saying that it can't stand alone. It's just saying, is it okay if it's on but top his, of noodles? But his argument was strong. All right, whatever. I think we're just talk, talking like default dishes, right? Chili with noodles, chili without noodles. I think chili can stand alone. All right, so I, I still want to know Anthony's um, opinion. So yeah, Anthony, let us, better let us know what you're thinking because now I'm questioning everything. Thought we were about to get into a nasty mayonnaise discussion, and I was not prepared <laughs> for this. Well, I'll bring you some uh, drunken noodle Thai chili. I'd love to try it. I also, and I mean, I also would like to try it. We'll see. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, another. Just thrilling edition of Steal Some Time. Week 25, we got a lot ahead. It all begins with Wednesday night soccer. North Carolina FC hosting the Tampa Bay Rowdies. We will catch you guys next week.